0: Hello and welcome to the Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in the world of finance take you beyond the numbers and hype right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today we're diving into a new report from the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO published this past Thursday, which was Earth Day, entitled Future of Earth, Investing in Solutions for a More Sustainable Planet. Looking to the future, one of the biggest hurdles we all undoubtedly face is what economists call the environmental credit crunch. Our current standard of living and overall level of consumption are unsustainable in relation to the planet's finite resources. Global citizens, consumers and investors alike are stewards of the Earth, collectively enjoying the power to shape a more sustainable path that will allow us to continue to evolve our quality of life while preserving the planet for the generations that follow. The Future of Earth report explores how investing in that future can yield financial, social and environmental benefits. For investors, the transition to a more sustainable future presents both risks and opportunities. Striking the right balance, then, is critical. How to go about doing that from a sustainable investment viewpoint is a core part of what we'll be discussing with our panel today. So let's meet them. Andrew Lee is Head Sustainable and Impact Investing, and Laura Kane is Head of Investment Themes Americas in UBS. Andrew Lee and Laura Kane, it's a pleasure to welcome you both back to the programme, now, we are talking, of course, on Earth Day, and I think this is a good reason to get some, some context around around the report and around this this discussion. Clearly, there's a, an incredible urgency to the, the situation, and there's lots that needs to be done to reshape the future in a, in a positive way, and we're talking about it through this sort of sustainability uh, prism. We're talking about sustainable investing. Well, Andrew Lee, let me bounce it over to you, first of all, and it's actually a theme we've discussed before, indeed, on this programme, uh, looking at... Uh, the importance of sustainable investing and how it's become more central to almost all investing in strategies. Just, just to, maybe to set the table for us. Can you can you tell us a bit about how you incorporate the sort of urgency that I've mentioned there, the importance of these themes into the day to day? I mean, I guess it must be something that crops up in conversations you always have with clients, right?
1: The day like today, you know, brings everyone together um, to focus on the topic at hand, which in this case is the importance of the planet that we live on. And it's finite natural resources. So look, our planet faces numerous challenges with regard to natural resources, you know, whether it's pollution or water scarcity or land degradation, biodiversity loss, right? These are all issues that um, set to worsen as the global population grows towards 10 billion people, as living standards rise, and as we feel and see the effects of, uh, of climate change. And I think, you know, these issues are front and center for many people in a way now that you know they haven't been before. So you know, while today is Earth Day and it's a singular day, um, these issues are front and center every day. And I think over the last number of years, we've seen that come into the consciousness of, you know, everyone from government entities, to corporations, to all of us as individuals. And so I think the fact that, you know, these environmental issues in particular are front and center means they are part of our everyday conversation in terms of how we think about living our lives, how we think about consuming and how we think about investing. And so they are topics that are front and center increasingly, and they are increasingly recognized as material to the investment conversation in a way that they weren't before. And so you have institutional investors, you have individual investors focused on why these issues are important and why these issues are material. So when we think about investing broadly, whether we think about sustainable investing or whether we think about traditional investing, um, you know, these are relevant issues for investors who are thinking about forward returns. Because these issues, and the ones we're talking about, are environmental today, but also social issues, really do play into the investor mindset, into investment process, into investment strategies. So thinking prospectively about how to position portfolios for the future sustainability issues are absolutely critical and the ones that we talk about today with regard to the environment are particularly acute given the you know the statistics that we can think about right so the annual economic cost of environmental disasters last year $268 billion right meaningful you know, there's an estimated five trillion dollars of estimated welfare loss due to the health effects of air pollution annually. So these are really meaningful numbers that, as an investor, you can't ignore because they either affect the macro economy, or they affect specific corporates, or they affect, um, you know, our investment portfolios in the aggregate. So, so these are very real and and and, and very present for investors. And I think, you know, the the, the tone of the conversation now, uh, Tom, is environmental risk, climate risk, social risk, these are all investment risks that we need to think about. So that's how we weave it into the conversation on an everyday basis for investors. And then for us as allocators or advisors or investors ourselves, thinking about how to factor those in systematically into an investment process. That's the everyday conversation.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And we're going to drill down in a bit more detail into some of the specific themes and indeed some of the the mechanics, that process that you, you talked about, Andrew. But uh, Laura, if I can just pick up with you on some of what Andrew touched upon there in his introductory remarks, presumably you'd echo that. And I wonder, you know, another thing before we get into more detail is, you know, some of the big kind of headline ideas here, which are sort of uh, outlined again at the front of the report as well, are about the importance, given the scale of the challenge that Andrew's already outlined for coordinated approaches, um, for a systematic approach, as he said, but also for collaboration, whether that's public, private sectors, all the different stakeholders, I guess, need to work together to deliver the kind of change that Andrew's talking about?
2: Yeah, that's right. That's a great point. And, you know, based on what Andrew said, and some of the numbers he provided, there is a real urgency around addressing a number of these uh, climate issues, and I think from the investment perspective, you know, in terms of you know why is now a good time to be investing in opportunities around this is the fact that we're seeing this coordinated policy support from some of the largest economies around the world, and that includes the U.S., Europe, Japan, and China, all calling for a reduction in carbon emissions, and not just calling for change, but also really putting some. Uh, investment dollars behind this. So in the US, Biden recently put forth his infrastructure plan, which of course has uh, many different provisions uh, specific to green infrastructure and clean energy development. Uh, We also see this in Europe as they put together their COVID recovery plans, that there was a significant amount of money allocated toward this building of a cleaner, more resilient economy. And I think one silver lining that came out of the COVID-19 pandemic is this desire to rebuild in such a way that the global economy will be more resilient to the next crisis that we face, whether that be related to public health or related to something uh, with regard to the environment. So I think that's also been a real catalyst here. And the good news is that we are seeing this coordination. Um, We also have the uh, climate summit taking place over the next couple of days that President Biden organized. So this is all good to see and it's all providing momentum around investment in these areas. So when we look at this from an investment perspective, uh, we also see opportunities taking shape. Because if you think about more public and private capital flowing towards solving these issues around climate, this speaks to us that there's a real opportunity in areas like green technologies, areas in the agricultural space like precision farming. We could also see benefits in, in the water space in terms of uh, water equipment and, and investments in more infrastructure. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity here. And and to your point, it's going to take a coordinated effort, but I think we're getting closer to seeing that finally take shape.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that's really encouraging, I guess, given how almost intimidating the scale of the challenge can be, is that you know there are lots of opportunities, as you've both already suggested. And indeed, that those companies and individuals who are innovating in a lot of these spaces have the opportunity to enjoy really robust longer-term growth, and that's, I guess, something that is a is a real win-win, isn't it? Uh, and Andrew, to that point, if we look at, say, you know, the the energy sector specifically, which I know is something that we were going to talk to you in a bit more detail about, again. Huge work to be done, and the pace of change can be challenging. But we are seeing good movement in that way, aren't we? Even on something which had been suggested even fairly recently was sort of intractably slow. Are you encouraged that the pace of change happens fast enough? Are there are there lots of examples out there that give you heart as you look towards the future when it comes to the energy space?
1: Well, energy is a really critical part of the story, right? When we think about um, the Earth, and I think that if you talk about pace of change you know, I guess we would think about, you know, innovation never happening fast enough, right, given given the pressures that we have. But but I think the reality is that, that there are new energy technologies, uh, renewable energies and others that are, you know, cleaner uh, than fossil fuel generation. But the light switch doesn't go on overnight, right? This is a multi-decade transition that is going to happen as the energy mix is shifted, you know, to be more uh, more friendly to the environment, right? So I think the, the most important thing to think about is that as we go forward, the importance of consistent and secure energy base is absolutely essential to, uh, you know, our daily lives and the function of the global economy, right? And so, you know, we do see new innovations and, uh, you know, development, but the transition to a more sustainable, uh, you know, cleaner energy future, it's its going to happen over time. It's going to need to be orderly. Um, we have to have the expectation that it will be gradual, you know, and we will, we all want it to continue to accelerate, but, you know, you have to think about disruption to the existing way, way that we, you know, do things and and um, and ensure ensure that uh, that energy security. So, you know, I do I do take heart. I think we are seeing momentum um, towards that transition. I think you know, as Laura mentioned before, um, there's strong policy support, um, you know, for investment. From, uh, you know, from many of the largest economies around the globe, the US, Europe, China, and Japan, in terms of spending plans, in terms of targets. Um, and so I think the momentum is there, you know, the innovation is certainly there and it's happening. And I think that um, you know, the, from an economic argument perspective, we're definitely seeing the trend shift uh, in, in favor of clean energy technology as part of the overall mix. There are a lot of interesting opportunities, there are a lot of interesting solutions that can help us move towards that cleaner energy base. and. You know, I think I think some of the things that we're excited about are, you know, in in the power generation space. Um, I mentioned some of the renewable energy sources, um, solar, wind, you know, but we do that, you know, they're they're not always um, they're not always consistent. Right. You have uh, those are variable energy sources. And so battery storage is going to be critical in order to see the transition to renewable energy sources. You know, transportation, right, everything that we're seeing in terms of the transition to electric vehicles becoming uh, the mainstream vehicle choice. Um, especially as costs come down. That's exciting. All the infrastructure around electric vehicles um, in terms of charging stations, all of this is happening. There's funding support for it. There are other potential power sources, including hydrogen and hydrogen fuel cell. Um, So I think a lot of interesting things happening in the transportation side, which is also a significant contributor to emissions and the energy issues that we see right now. And I think you know what's also exciting is in the industrial space, you know we are seeing a heightened focus on and recognition of these challenges and a focus on um, you know many of these companies uh, in the industrial complex to aggressively mitigate their emissions, you know, through approaches like carbon capture and others. So I think there are a lot of opportunities. We're excited about the approaches that are being taken and the opportunities that investors have to participate in many of the the opportunities for change on the energy side.
0: That's really interesting I think one thing that resonates there is this idea that there's this, this sort of there's an alignment between the powerful economic arguments and also these more human and social arguments and I wanted to ask you Laura a bit about the sort of people health and communities piece here which is which is a key aspect and there it's very important isn't it to, to sort of join the dots a little if we look at something like the impact of climate change the, the consequence of air pollution you know we see a direct human cost as well but there's also the a very clear economic cost which is related Too and it affects the whole viability of growing everything sustainably. And it's very important to look at this in the round, isn't it?
2: Yes, that's a great point. Uh, When we talk about addressing climate related challenges, it's not just an environmental priority, it's a personal one. Um, Our planet affects everything from what we eat, where we live, and the air we breathe. And we see the direct effects or direct correlation between the health of our planet and our environment and human health. So what we see is that air pollution is actually the largest environmental link threat to human health. And what's even more critical about this is that we see that it's often the most vulnerable communities that are most negatively impacted by some of these climate risks. So for example, in the US, uh, individuals living in poverty were 35% more likely to be exposed to pollution particulates than the general population. So, uh, some of these issues are actually uh, making vulnerable populations even more at risk than they already are. And, you know, some of the diseases and illnesses that we see linked to air pollution include things like uh, heart disease, lung cancer, and other respiratory illnesses we also see that rising temperatures can make it easier for certain infectious diseases to spread. So uh, there's a real uh, urgency in terms of addressing these issues to make sure that we protect uh, the health of our global population, especially in urban areas that have higher population density. Uh, This is an even greater risk in those areas. Now, beyond air pollution, um, some of the other issues that we see, Uh, resulting from climate include extreme heat, uh, especially in emerging cities. As I mentioned, uh, this is not only claiming lives, but also resulting in significant uh, job loss uh, in some of these regions. Uh, It's estimated that in the Asia and Pacific regions, uh, those areas stand to lose the most jobs from heat stress at a rate of about 3.1% of the workforce by 2030, which is equivalent to around 62 million full-time jobs. So these numbers are really significant when you think about the potential losses that we face if we don't address some of these issues. And then one of the other things I would point to beyond the health effects, it's also the fact that we're seeing climate change influence the sustainability of our communities in the sense that it's causing issues like flooding and the sinking of major cities around the world. And again, this carries a huge economic cost, but also a cost to human well-being in the sense that because of these issues, we're seeing people actually have to leave their communities and migrate to other areas, which in turn results in, you know, things like human trafficking. We see issues just with armed conflict in certain regions as a result of these migrations. So that's another very serious issue when it comes to how the planet affects our uh, health and well-being. And then I, I'll close by saying that you know this is another area where we see a lot of solutions on the horizon, whether it's looking at some of the green technologies that Andrew mentioned in terms of, you know, nipping the problem at the bud in terms of addressing climate change in the first place, We also see treatments for pollution-linked diseases on the pharmaceutical and medical device side. And then when it comes to communities, we see opportunities in companies relating to uh, smart infrastructure and improving waste management um, and engineering and construction companies. So this is another area where, uh, yes, there's a lot of challenges, but there are investment solutions that we see on the horizon that can help to alleviate some of these problems.
0: Well, yeah, and I wanted to pick up with both of you a little bit about then the mechanics of this for investors. If they are fascinated by addressing some of these challenges... What do the next steps look like? Because I guess on one level people may think, look, some of these considerations are things that I I understand people will be talking about on a you know, on a boardroom level, on a corporate level. But as a as a private investor, for example, are they not just almost too big to tackle? But you've both suggested, you know, there's a, a wider range of sustainable and thematic investment strategies that can actually help even individual investors to attack this in a really positive way. And maybe we might just talk briefly a little bit about some of the mechanics. Laura, if we look at maybe another one of the areas in the report. The uh, sections on, on water I found were really interesting. Is it a question of canny investors who want to make a difference saying, look, I'm going to find a company that is pushing developments in uh, smart water networks and investing that way? Is it as obvious as that or do you need to take a more almost holistic approach to, to addressing some of these areas?
2: Yeah, So it's a little bit of both there are two key approaches that investors can use to target some of these issues. So the first is what we call a thematic approach, where investors can invest in companies that we consider to be solutions providers that are making goods and services that are addressing some of these issues. So the example you provided about you know companies that are involved in creating smart metering technologies, yes, that would be an example of a thematic investment where, where you're investing in a company that's making something that's helping to address these challenges so in relation to water we do see opportunities within for example industrial companies that are making water related equipment that are helping to make let's say infrastructure changes that are going to reduce leakage or other digital solutions that can better kind of sense and detect water flow and make improvements to efficiency and reduce water loss. So that's one angle. And then the other angle is what we call an ESG integration approach. And that's that more holistic analysis that you're referring to. So. This is looking at all companies, particularly those that are in water intensive industries like consumer staples and agriculture and utilities and understanding is the company doing a good job of managing their water usage. So that's a criteria that investors can look at in, let's say, their equity portfolio and, and assess and and target those companies that are doing a good job. Um, of managing this critical resource. So there's really two lenses to look at. Like I said, it's the thematic in terms of the goods and services, and then it's the ESG integration side in terms of understanding how a business is run operationally and whether or not they're being responsible with their usage of our critical natural resources.
1: There are so many ways to express sustainability across asset classes uh, and types of investments in a portfolio. You know, that I think investors who are looking to reflect these considerations in their portfolio have. Uh, different ways to do it. They can build 100% portfolios where all of the equity, fixed income and alternatives, you know, consider broadly, you know, social and environmental factors, you know, as Laura was alluding to, where they're material to that particular investment. So making sure that those are consistently evaluated, reflected, I think that's one piece of what investors are really looking to do to make sure that sustainability is incorporated um, in across their investments. And so for investors, uh, you know, who want to go beyond that and invest proactively in, uh, in companies that are delivering products and solutions to many of the challenges that we've discussed today, you know, and, and, and really drive positive change or at least be aligned to companies who are driving that positive change. Um, you know, that's that's about incorporating thematic in, into portfolios. And because of the size and scale of these opportunities, the growth that we see uh, in these sectors, those are opportunities to deliver financial return in portfolios, as well as, uh, you know, addressing directly some of these, uh, some of these challenges. So, so there are lots of ways to incorporate, you know, these
0: opportunities across
1: whole portfolios.
0: And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS here on Monocle 24. Listen again and find out more at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.